Now, the book of Acts, if you're not familiar with the Bible, is um, in the second half of the Bible, which we call the New Testament, which begins with the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. The next book after that is Acts. Chapter 2. Dan, how far forward am I allowed to stand? It's okay. Okay, right. <laughs> uh, the golf, the golf is unnerving. I, I like to be close. So. Now, like I say, today's going to be a little bit different from normal. Um, we're going to be looking at prayer today. Now, to really do that subject justice, you, you need much more than a morning. Um, so it's by no means an overview of prayer. It's a particular kind of prayer we're going to be Looking at, I will preach for shorter than usual, like I said, and then we're going to apply straight away what I've been teaching. That's the plan today. Um, I'm going to particularly focus on praying for one another today. How to serve one another by praying for one another. Praying, not just in the sense of, you know, um, leaving today and then praying for someone here, but praying for someone with someone. And then we will do so. This is part of a mini-series um, where we're focusing on Acts chapter 2, verse 42 in particular. Now, before we read this, I want to give some background, because probably up till now, last few weeks, I haven't done that. And um, I maybe have assumed too much knowledge. So, here's the situation so far. Really, within the couple of months up to this point, it has been a, a roller coaster of a ride for the disciples of Jesus. They've seen their teacher and their Lord, the one really for whom they gave up everything. They've seen him betrayed. They've seen him arrested. They've seen him crucified. I mean, it was horrific. It was horrific. Peter, who appeared to be the leader and and, and the boldest, really, of the twelve, he ended up denying Jesus. They they, they scattered uh, when... uh, when, um, Jesus was arrested, they just ran. One of them was in such a panic, he ended up running away naked. I mean, it was just, just traumatic. Anything but just get away. Fear gripped them. And uh, so there was complete disappointment, sense of what the heck was that about? We left everything to follow this man and now he's died. So they followed a couple of days of just bewilderment, disorientation. Then Jesus over a period of 40 days, began to sporadically appear to various ones of them. And so there was a mixture of joy and fear and confusion because he would appear to some but not others and then the word would get back and they wouldn't believe and Jesus would appear to them. And it was, I mean, it really, it wasn't smooth running in that sense. It wasn't just a very a calm time. It was a time of upheaval, emotional upset, and yet joy and glory, as it seems, the puzzle seems to be coming together that, wow, the Bible teaches that through, he, through Christ's resurrection, he was declared to be the Son of God with power. So there's a sense of, wow, he is all that he said he was. He's overcome death, he's beaten death. This is what we have, just in a couple of months, really, before we get to the book of Acts. They were thrilled at his resurrection, but even then they still didn't get what a lot of it was about. They didn't understand the cross, didn't understand why he had to die. The resurrection, that they they rejoiced in it, but didn't get it. There was so much that they didn't understand. Then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, the day of Pentecost came, and they're filled, they're baptised, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. 
And from that point on, really, things internally began to take shape. They still had a lot to work through. They didn't get it all in a moment, but they began to understand and grasp Definitely. What, ah, understand what all that was about now. They understood the cross. Peter preaching directly after being filled with the Holy Spirit speaks to the Jews and speaks to them about, you know, they nailed, they nailed, um, they nailed this Jesus to the cross, but he's the prince of life. He's, he's the author of life and, and he's risen again. And this is God's promised one and they're getting it and there's a sense of revelation and understanding that comes. And they realized that his death wasn't just necessary, but it was the pivot on which history swung. That revelation began to process into them that that moment of the cross, it wasn't, it wasn't just a, a, a big deal, it was a huge deal. It was what all of history beforehand was looking towards and now it's what we look back to. It was the pivot. It was the point where God's wrath was averted from mankind and onto his son. The theological term is propitiation. Where the wrath of God was aimed and trained in on Jesus. It's not that the the Christian God just doesn't do the wrath thing. He absolutely does. He's holy. Very holy. But in his mercy, he aimed all of his wrath at the Son. That it might be averted from those of us who deserve his wrath, unlike Jesus. They realised his resurrection was proof positive that he truly was the Son of God. They realise they've been chosen by him to spread the good news. So they get filled with the Holy Spirit and then what does their lifestyle look like as a result? Acts 2 verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which we looked at two weeks ago. We're saying that's scripture. That's the way we apply that now. And fellowship, one another, other believers, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe or fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, the big meeting, the small meeting, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a prospect. What a prospect. The commu- there was something about the way they lived that was just glorious, so just drenched with the presence of God. Drenched with the presence of God. And the, the lifestyle was so marked, so different. It was a kingdom lifestyle. They lived by a different set of values. It was obvious. They didn't have to try and... It's, well, it, it seems like they didn't even have to try to really you know, impose upon everyone that they're very different. They just were different. And it created this amazing scenario where daily people are being added and are being saved. Now, this verse is a description. It's not a command. It's a narrative. It's just a description. It doesn't say in the Bible, and you must live like this. It's a, it's a narrative, it's a description. However, you need to be a bit silly in order not to realise this is God's will for his people. This is God's will for his people. This is what God wants. You read it, it's so appealing, it's so enticing, it's so attractive, and even though actually there's a cost to it, and you think, oh, how do you actually work that out? Something, if the Spirit of God lives in you, when you read that, something of it just it draws you to it. You think, I want to live like that, don't you? You think, I want that. It's a beautiful life. It's a kingdom life. It's a wonderful thing. This is God's will for his church. This is God's will for his special people. That's what the church is. It's God's treasured 
possession. God is very jealous about his church. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the uh, Bible, the New Testament, his name was Saul before his conversion. And he hated Christians. He was a zealot. He was a, he was a zealous uh, Pharisee. He, 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 he felt that Christianity really was um, completely destroying the Judaism that he loved. Christianity doesn't. Christianity fulfills Judaism. Judaism points towards. But he felt it was destroying it. So he hated it. And so he's really, he, he says elsewhere in the Bible that it was his desire to crush and destroy the church. But at the point of his conversion, he's on, the way, on his way to Damascus with papers from the authorities, giving him authority to arrest Christians, put them in prison. On his way there, a bright light appears in the sky. He falls down. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Who, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Hold on a minute. Jesus is in heaven. He's no longer vulnerable to that. He's risen from the dead. He, he lives with the power of an indestructible life, the Bible says. He's totally immune from persecution. So why does he say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why? Because it's his church. And he feels it like it's him. He is the head. The church is the body. Jesus is passionate for his church. Jesus loves the church. The media may scorn the church. And the critic may slate the church, and the cynic might mock the church, but God loves the church. With all its failings, with all its flaws, God loves the church. And if you, as a believer, you want to be more like God, of course you do. The Bible says be imitators of God. The Bible says it's God's plan that he makes you more and more like himself, it, um, day by day, ever increasing glory into his image. You want to be like him? You would do well to nurture in your heart a love for the church. Not a building, the people, God's people. We looked at that specifically last week, didn't we? God is passionate about the church. The church is the main agent of the kingdom of God in the world. Now let me just make this clear. What is the kingdom of God? It's not a locality. It's not, oh, it's over there. The Bible says really, it makes it clear that the the, the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus Christ's rule or reign is made known, there's the kingdom of God. So when somebody gets saved, someone gets delivered out of just not knowing God and born again into the kingdom, there's the kingdom. There, bang. In that person's life, now Jesus rules. There's the kingdom of God. When the oppressed are released, when those who are afflicted receive the good news, when those who are being uh, under heavy uh, injustice, when justice breaks in, it's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's God's heart. Where the wounded are healed, where the demonized are set free, it's the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. It's the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And although those things happen outside the church, the the kingdom being bigger than the church, the vast majority of the time, it's the church that ushers in the kingdom. It's the church that ushers the kingdom in. Whether it's under the auspices of an organised church programme, or whether just one or two from a congregation go out and do these things, or whether just one believer, one solitary living stone in God's household, goes into their workplace and brings something of the kingdom in, there's the kingdom. The church is the main agent ushering in the kingdom there difference between the church and the kingdom, but the church is there to usher in God's kingdom. That's our calling. How do we do it? How do we do it? We have to be a devoted people. A devoted people. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and actively look to cooperate with God in terms of living a life that is devoted. And by that word, it means to cling to, to adhere closely to, to just be in earnest about, to be devoted. The early church were devoted to the scriptures, to one another, to breaking of bread and to praying, and they shook the world. You might think, that's crazy. You'd be devoted to those things and you shake the world. It's the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom. It's not, it's not, it's not normal maths. It's God's wisdom. It's how God works. We need to trust that. And we looked last week at how they came to be like this. They were filled mightily with the Holy Spirit. They were powerfully indwelt by God's own presence. They were filled with God. That's what this is about. It's always been God's plan to have a people where his presence can dwell and where he can fill them. And you know when something's full, how do you know when it's full? It overflows. This with the old Coke, you know, Christmas, or the cream soda, or the ginger beer, or the beer, or whatever you like best. You're pouring it in, and you think, just a little bit more. How do you know when you've really hit the top? Oh, it's come out. To be filled with the Spirit, just needs to be an overflow. An overflow out of God's kingdom, God's values. People come ac- across you, and it's, it smells different. What is that? It's the fragrance of Christ. To some, it's life. Some go, oh, it's like the Bisto advert, Yeah? Ah, and they want to, oh, I want some of that. Others go, ooh, it's like they've opened a rotten chicken. It's death. That's fine, that's with God. That's with God. But we're to give off the aroma of Christ as we're filled with his presence. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.18, we're not to get drunk on wine because it leads to unrestrained behaviour. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in the original Greek there, the original tense is called present continuous, which basically means Paul is saying, go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-off. Make it your lifestyle to be filled with God. Make it your lifestyle. This happens in all kinds of ways. You can be filled with God as you're just hearing, filled with the Spirit as you just hear God's Word, you hear preaching. You can be filled with the Spirit as you're reading your Bible and just the truth jumps out and you just feel with that sense of the nearness of God, God's presence. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit just alone with God, just praying, waiting on Him. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit as someone prays for you, laying on our hands and prays for you. We're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to pray for another to be filled with the Spirit today. That's what we're going to do. It's a, it's a perfect way of applying it in this setting. You can be filled with the Spirit in many different ways, but it's perfect to, to, do, to pray for one another while we're gathered together like this today. It's not a waste of time to pray for one another. The early church did not see prayer as a waste of time. They didn't see it as a nuisance. And also, I would say, their attitude to prayer was not superstitious. I spoke to someone <laughs> a few weeks ago, and they had a big interview coming up, and they went, I, I said, well, we'll just pray. She said, that's what I meant. I thought, that's interesting. You know, you just get an insight, don't you, into people, you think, oh, that's an interesting one. Actually, it's an insult. I mind the person's not here. <laughs> it's an insult. That and being in touch with the living God. Same thing. Very different. I mean, just hugely different. That is, hope it works out, praying to God is you're speaking to the one who didn't just start all things but holds all things together. The one who has all authority, the one who is completely sovereign. <gasps> I mean, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Let's just, just face it, yeah? Don't, if you're a Christian, don't, don't do that. Don't do that stuff. It's totally dishonouring to God. It's completely dishonouring. Or, you know, don't do it. It's dishonouring. You don't need that. It's silly. Do not have a superstitious attitude towards prayer. Prayer, true prayer, and I want to say true prayer, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about the prayer of the Muslims. 
I'm not talking about the prayer of the Hindus. I'm not talking about the prayer of the Mormons. I'm talking about the prayers of the Christian. The Bible is clear. The only way to truly connect with God, the Almighty, the Creator, is through Jesus Christ. It's the only way. So true prayer is a very, very different thing. It's fellowship with God. It's fellowship with God. We looked last week at fellowship horizontally. Prayer is fellowship vertically. It's being with Him. The early church were devoted to one another, but they were devoted to him. Prayer is one of the ways you express your devotion to God. It's one of the ways you express your devotion. The main way I I express my devotion to my wife is through time. She loves to chat. She loves to just talk with me. So I am increasingly prioritising that. Because I'm realising that it does us the world of good. As it does the relationship, the word of good. Because not only is it a way of expressing devotion, guess what else happens? You're stoking the fires of devotion as well. So the devotion grows. Same with prayer. It's an expression of devotion, but the more time you spend with God, the more, to- the more you love being in his presence, you're stoking the fires of devotion. It's such an important thing that we prioritise prayer. And I am not naive or gullible enough to think that in a room with this many people, even though many of us, though I'm sure not all of us, many of us may be Christians, I'm not going to assume that we will prioritise prayer. I've been a Christian too long. And I've had my own battles in terms of prioritising prayer. It's just a massive battle. It really is. But we've got to nail it. Because whenever we drop off from it, it just affects everything. It affects everything. Before we pray with one another today, I want to speak on one vital element to be joined with prayer. And then we're going to hear a few testimonies, then we're going to pray. Okay. It's about faith. Unsurprisingly, done a big series on faith the last few weeks, and I just feel now I want to just say some things on faith before we pray. Listen to the writer to the Hebrews. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe, number one, he exists. Important. And number two, that he rewards those who seek him. Wonderful words. There must be this underlying confidence when you draw near to God that you're drawing near to the God who is there. Yeah? You're, you're, it's not random or kind of, oh, you know, if anyone's out there, that's not, that's not. That is the tragic prayer of the unbeliever. If anyone's there, I tell you, God in his mercy wants better for us than that, eh? He's revealed himself in Christ. Come and pray to me. Come and speak to me. We know what it's like. We read the Bible. This is what our God is like. It's such a sad thing to call out to someone you don't know who you're calling out to. No, we come and we know that he is there. See, the one who's been made alive to God through trusting in Christ, you just know him, didn't you? The moment you're born again, you just know God. Suddenly, you look at people worshiping and praying, you think, you get born again and you're just like, I get it now. I get it. It's a miracle. Hallelujah. I'm so excited. It's a miracle. I tell you, when I got born again, it was, I just, and it wasn't, it wasn't a dramatic thing. No lights were shining. It wasn't Damascus Road. But something happened in me that changed me forever. My whole moral center changed. My whole, my whole, I just, I love Jesus. And I couldn't even tell you why. I just love Jesus. I just wanted to go and spend time with him. What is that? It's new life. It's the spirit of God living in you. It's the heart of stone taken out, the heart of flesh put in. It's the miracle of being born again. And when you know, you know. And when you know him, you just know him. 
And you, know, you can get tied in knots by people who believe something else and lose arguments. And I, I've probably told you the story often about when I got tied in knots by those Jehovah's Witnesses. I've been a Christian about three years. I got just bah, bah, mm, mm, theologically just tied in knots and thrown out the window. And then I went indoors and I thought the only thing to do is to run a bath. So I did run a bath and uh, I remember sat, um, sat on the toilet, but on the seat, okay? And uh, <laughs> waiting for the bath to run, waiting for the bath to run. And I just said something like, oh, Father, what do I do now? And I thought, what? That's weird. I've just been taken apart. And my instinct is, Father. Father. Because the spirit of adoption lives in you, who cries out, Abba, Father. It's the miracle of being born again. Woo! And sometimes, like Martin Smith says in his, uh, in his song, sometimes he does seem further than the moon, and sometimes he does seem closer than your skin. And yet, you know who it is who seems further than the moon. And you know who it is who seems closer. You just know him. You're just. Jesus, and we know, Jesus said, if anyone's seen me, he's seen the Father. So we know God through Jesus. We love him because we know him. You can't love what you don't know. You can't love, and you trust him because you know him. You can't trust what you don't know. But faith goes beyond that. Doesn't just provide the knowledge of who we're drawing near to, but the second thing here, he rewards those who seek him. Faith provides this certainty, this confidence that not one prayer is ever wasted. Unless you're praying for something stupid. (laughs) And a lot of people pray for stupid things, so there's some wisdom that you need there, but you pray in prayers that in line with the glory of God, the will of God, the purpose of God, not one prayer is ever wasted. Ever. And faith brings that assurance. Faith brings that confidence that he who asks receives. End of story. End of story. He who seeks will find. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. End of story. God doesn't lie. God, and you might have a few that you've been going at for years. You're thinking, well, it will come. If it's a good thing, it will come. It will. Faith prays and then watches expectantly. Faith doesn't waver when it takes time. Now today, some application now for when we pray for one another in a minute. When we pray for one another, we must pray confident that God will lead us in our praying. Okay? We must pray confident as we wait on him, he will guide us and he will grant us prophetic insight, wisdom, words of encouragement, words that sustain the weary, words that are heaven sent, words that the Holy Spirit can use to fill the person. We need to be confident. Don't whatever you do, say or think, God won't use me in this way. The gift of prophecy, or being able to pray prophetically over people, has nothing to do with maturity. And frighteningly, it seems to have nothing to do with purity either. It's a grace gift. Some people particularly have that gift in a residing way. They're just, they're slightly, they're prophesying machines, okay? We've got one or two here in the room, won't embarrass you. Others, this gift can just come in the moment. You're not prophesying all the time, but you pray for someone and you just suddenly things start, you, you just, you know how to pray. God owns it. And, and it's, I tell you, it's, it can be just like a, in the spiritual sense, just a glass of cold beer on a sunny day to someone's spirit. Because they've been praying something and then someone comes along and they pray and it's like, oh my goodness, you've been reading my mail. Now you haven't got a goal, we're oh the Lord, you haven't got a goal, silly, okay? <laughs> just pray, be yourself, but just be open to what God's saying. It's very important. Um, if you're not sure, you think, I feel, I feel like maybe God said something, but I'm not sure. Just say something like this. Look, I might be wrong. This is what I'm thinking. Or this is what I've, I'm kind of, I'm seeing something in my mind's eye, or this is what I feel God might be saying. This is what I'm reminded of. Does that make any sense? If you don't, if you don't say that, 
You'll never know whether you're hearing from God or not, will you? You'll never know, you'll never grow. So it's important that you do that. So when we pray for each other, pray expectantly, expecting our Father wants to touch us, expecting our Father wants to fill us with the Spirit, wants to encourage us, wants to speak to us. This is what the Bible teaches. Hallelujah. We're going to start in a minute, after the testimonies about the workplace, I want to pray for those who want prayer regarding their workplace situation. We're going to focus quite a bit on this in January. Um, it's so important that we equip you guys for the workplace. So important. And when I use that term, if you're a student, I'm referring to the campus. If you're a housewife, I'm referring to your home, your neighbourhood, the school playground. Whatever your vocation calling, it's where you spend most time. That's what I'm referring to. It's absolutely God's will that you do well wherever he's called you. It's God's will. Not that there'll never be difficulties. Not that you'll never face opposition. No, 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 that's all promised. Okay? There'll be pressure, there'll be opposition. But that you do well. God wants you to prosper. He wants you to honour him in the way that you work. He wants you to work hard and joyfully. He wants you to conduct yourself in a godly way. And he wants you to use every opportunity to point to Jesus in an appropriate way. And I would just say this is totally topsy-turvy that very often the pastors, the evangelists and the so-called missionaries get a lot of profile and prayer. We need to pray for you guys in the workplace. You're on the front line. You're on the front line. Day in, day out. That's the cutting edge. That's the front line. Now I've asked a few people to just come and give a very short testimony of what God's doing in their workplace. And then I want some spontaneous ones. And it's anything from, wow, God's breaking in and you know people are getting saved and whatever, to I worked really hard for the glory of God and I got an employer's recognition award. Okay? All of those things are worship and everything in between. Okay? Then after the testimonies, we're going to just mobilise you guys to pray for one another. If you're, if you're a guest, you're not even a believer, you're not comfortable with this, you think, what do I do now? You can just stay where you are and watch. That's totally fine. Okay? No one's going to force you, pressurise you, coerce you. That's totally cool. But if you'd like to be prayed for, we'll pray for you. That's how we're going to do it. And then we'll, we'll just see how God leads as we go. And then we'll gather back in at some point, love him, sing to him, bless him with songs a bit more, which is another manifestation of being filled with the Spirit. And we'll break bread, drink the wine, remember his body broken for us, remember his blood shed for us. I'll finish with this. If you're here today and you're not a believer, you're not a born-again believer, you may have a faith, you may not be quite sure where you are. I want you to know this. That God loves you and that God wants to forgive you of your sin and God wants you to be reconciled to him. And God has made a way for all of that to happen through giving Jesus who lived for you and who died on the cross for you and who rose again for you. He is all that you need to get right with God. It's all found in him. What is God calling you to do? Repent. Which means turn away. He's calling you to turn away from living your own way it's calling you to turn away from just living by your own wisdom. It's calling you to turn away from just doing things independently. It's calling you to turn away from idolatry. Idolatry is when you really you just worship anything other than the creator. You worship creative things. Whether it's another person, a hobby, yourself. It's calling you to turn from that and come home. It's calling you to come home. And just trust yourself to Jesus. Trust that all... All that you're just so aware of, you think, surely God won't accept me. In Christ he will. You hide in Jesus. The Father totally accepts Jesus. You hide in Jesus. You're totally accepted. Hallelujah. God says, you're all right. The Bible calls it justification. In a moment. 
Spirit of God comes on you, you're born again and you love the Lord. If that is you, I want to say this to you. You can do one of two things. Maybe something's just kick-started today, you're thinking, wow, I never knew this, this is all new to me, I want time to think this through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe you've heard it a few times, or maybe you've just heard it for the first time, but you think, this is it, today's my day. I need to get right with God. I need to know that forgiveness, that reconciliation. I will say this to you, when we take bread and wine later, you come down, you take the bread, you take the wine. And after the service, you come and speak to me, or you come and speak to the person who brought you. And we can talk with you, and we can pray with you. We can get you off to a good start following Jesus. Okay? Alright. Testimonies. Who has got some testimonies on the workplace they want to come and share? I know some of you, so I've asked you to. So. <laughs> Luke, come on, mate. Come on down. Any others? Let's, let's get, a little, we'll get a little queue going, because then, um, then we can just kind of bang, bang, bang. Where's Hazard? Hazard in here. Oh. Is that okay, Lena? He's got a great testimony. Do you want to use the mic? I know you don't need a mic, Luke, but it makes the rest of us feel, you know what I mean, inadequate when you just kind of boom out. So... Um, it's been a really exciting week actually I work in a well known retailer in Oxford Street and um, we've, there's about three of us that are part of the, like a Christian fellowship um, group and on Thursday we had a day of prayer and we advertised it in the paper within, within the company and uh, various different people came along we had about 15 people come along from different religions, not Christians and uh, we prayed for them and um, people coming in feeling down and coming out feeling released one person gave their life to Jesus got filled with the Holy Spirit on the Friday um, we went to meet with the MD of the store and um, we prophesied and prayed over him and uh, he was taking it all in, taking notes down and recommending a book. He was overwhelmed by it, and uh, God's really on the place. Hallelujah. Great. Yeah. <clears throat> Got my shoes on. I've been in the crash. Um, right, just say my testimony, basically. Yeah? yeah? Okay, right. <laughs> I, I've missed everything, so I'm not sure. Um, about, I think it was November, um, David Stroud came and preached while we were still on the, in the canteen. And basically, he, during his preach, he said, he was talking about how Christians should exceed expectations and just be doing well and striving, especially in the workplace. And that really challenged me. I thought, I really do want to please my employer because it's just a part of my worship, working where I am and doing well. So I think, you know, even before that and after when you preach, I got really encouraged to just go above and beyond their expectations to really strive and to kind of take initiative here and there. And then I had my performance review, which is a yearly thing. Basically, all I got was says he said, we c- no one can find any dirt on you, basically. They just love, because they, how, how it works, they email people anonymously and they have to write a review about me, how, uh, areas I'm weak in, areas I need to improve, um, areas they liked, and they couldn't find anything bad to say about me. And I thought that was amazing, because that's an incredible favour. And also, they, because of what they've seen over the past year and stuff, they gave me an employee recognition award. And they said, you've just, you've done so well. And we're really, it's like a diamond, what's it, diamond customer service kind of thing. It was really, I feel really encouraged where I am. God's really used me there, I guess, to just do well as a Christian and just not to, I mean, as part of worship and not to think of it anything else, really. But yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. Great. 
Any others? Any others? Just, just to share. Yeah, come on, Mary. Come on, get up. You come. Yeah, give her a warm welcome. It's, like, it's scary up here. <laughs> um, I feel very strongly called to the company that I'm in, and over the year and a half I've been there, um, I've met more and more Christians who are there. I mean, it's just crawling with Christians, and um, particularly in the senior leadership team. So some of these guys are often be on Newsnight or... Um, quote it sort of on BBC News site and things. They're incredibly influential people and they're Christians. And um, this week I had an email from one of these guys saying, we need someone to read at the, co- the company carol service. And I was like, oh man, you know, it's going to be a really stuffy Anglican church. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but it's going to, you know, I thought it's going to be really, just really, sorry, that's awful. <laughs> but I thought it's going to be really stuffy and structured and there's going to be like five people there and it's going to be really dud. But I thought, okay, I'll do the reading. And I went and there was a whole UK leadership team. It's a very big company and um, some of them are married to politicians and they were there with the kids. And loads of people I work with are gone and they go every year. And they had this, um, the evangelism vicar from um, All Souls Langham Place and he just preached the gospel at them out, you know, no no compromise at all as you would preach it and they were engaged they were laughing, they were listening they all hung around afterwards for more wine and mince pies and these are my managers that were there and I don't know what the fruit will be but I just feel like God's doing something very clear in that company and even now I've found a bit like Hazia really I've just found God's favour's really been on me there and I've ended up in positions of influence that I could never have dreamed of and I feel that God's speaking to me about what like at the moment working for a government department about what he wants that department to look like um, and I'm in a position where I can shape it and listen to God and it's just been a really amazing year and I just felt so encouraged on Thursday I was like God is really you know that was such a risk to put that guy there and it just went down so well so right anyone else Mary Mary Helen come on give her one give her one Um, very different story, but I don't know how many of you know I'm doing my teacher training in Tottenham, which is quite hardcore and um, and struggling in some areas, but absolutely loving it in others. And um, not as much with my colleagues, but with the kids that I'm working with, it's just massively challenging. But um, I, there was just one in particular story, and then where it kind of led, I. Um, heard about this one year eight group with one girl who's the most notorious girl in the whole of the school huge big Jamaican girl and she's 11 and she's just so so scary and I and just heard so much about her and they're like right teaching her next week but she she won't listen to you she's really manipulative try and be nice she'll throw it back in your face she'll leave she'll throw things I was like okay got it and um I went and spoke to a special needs lady about it and I was like, what can I do? Like, I need some advice. I'm just going to be in there by myself. And she said, there's nothing you can do. It's, you know, you just got to go for it. But, but the only way that she will give you any favour is if you say that you're a committed Christian and love Jesus. And I was just absolutely blown away and just prayed, prayed about, about the situation and went in and she was absolutely fine and was just 
responded really well to me and just on that kind of level it was just amazing and then I found out that um, well on Friday they said that they'd love to have me back as a school next year if they want me to yeah so it's fantastic yeah and loads of questions in the department as well so it's exciting thanks okay I don't what I don't want to do is get into just next half an hour okay but if there's anyone just you just burst and you think you really need to we'll have one more if not that's fine okay here's what we're going to do if you are here and you would just like to receive prayer for a workplace issue. Now, remember what I said, if you're a student, it's campus. If you're housewife, it's, it's home, you know, school, playground kind of deal. But you would just love someone to pray for you. I'm not, when we pray for you, we're not going to ask you what you want prayer for. Okay? Not, sometimes we will. It's not, like, it's not a rule. I just, today, I just don't want us to do that. I want us to